Well, I would love to welcome all of you to Christ the King, wherever you happen to be worshiping, whether you're worshiping at our Ferndale campus, whether you're welcoming or joining us online, we're glad that you're here with us, and a special welcome to those of you here at the Bellingham campus as well. I'm just really, really glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and it's my honor every week to come and open the Word of God and say, this is what Jesus says. Those are the words of life. And I'm excited about being able to share them with you today. A couple of announcements. Just want to throw this at you one more time. At the end of this month, we are doing one of the largest outreaches that we do as a church. It's called Trunk or Treat in Bellingham. It has a different name in Ferndale because we're doing something different in Ferndale. In Ferndale, our, our little church there has decided to gather together and they're actually creating what they call safety glow stations. In each of the different neighborhoods, there's going to be people who love Jesus, giving kids... Uh, uh, glow things so people can see them and be a part of that whole com uh, community outreach. It's going to be wonderful. Here in Bellingham, we do something called Trunk or Treat. We basically put a whole bunch of cars in the parking lot, and kids come by the thousands. I'm not lying to you, by the thousands to come. And I'm trying to talk a whole bunch of you into coming together as a family and serving that night. Serving together with your kids uh, in all of the different areas. There is a program out insert inside of your uh, program at all the campuses. If you'd like to look at that and see this as an opportunity to go deeper in service, it's a wonderful chance for you to serve together. And we would love for you to be able to be a part of this amazing outreach called Trunk or Treat. Well, welcome to a new series called Cringe. I have to admit that this series scares me just a little bit. Because we're going to tackle some of the toughest sections of the Gospels. Sections where Jesus called people to a level of commitment that was so deep, it scared some. It offended others, and some just threw up their hands and walked away completely. I hope you brought your seatbelt. Here we go. Talking in public can be dangerous. I had a cringe moment at a Christ the King service a few months back at a Saturday night service. I was telling an introductory story, and in my haste to say one very benign, plain old English word, I missed an S. One solitary S. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but missing one solitary S turned a very innocent word into a sexually suggestive slang term that made me blush the second it came out of my mouth. I said it, and the room froze. In the milliseconds that followed, I had a conversation with my own brain. Do I circle back around and try and fix this? Or do I just keep on going and pretend like it didn't even happen? Well, the Saturday night crowded Christ the King answered the question for me because people started to snicker. The whole crowd turned into a group of fifth grade boys, and they started poking each other, saying, did he just say that? Did pastor actually just say that? I did. By mistake. So be nice, okay? That night, the video equipment did not work because Jesus loves me, all right? <laughs> but the, the audio equipment worked, and it caught the whole thing. I'm not going to play you the whole clip because I don't want to repeat the embarrassment but I am going to play for you what came out of my mouth in the seconds following my slip-up. Okay, technology guys, let it rip. 
Okay, stop right there. All right. Our tech guys actually turned it into a ringtone for my phone. Thank you very much. Okay. That's my brain saying, did you just say that? What are you going to do now? Okay. <laughs> this is what came out of my mouth next in the following 20-some seconds. Guys, if you would, please. Now, here's the deal. Okay, guys, you can turn the cameras off because I heard what I just said. And I'm not going to be able to recover. And we're most certainly not sending this to Ferndale tomorrow morning. And if you, and if you put it on YouTube, I will find you. You were all thinking it, so I just said it. Awesome. Where were we? All right. So, some of you thought that my cringe moment was in the pronunciation of the word. It was not. My cringe moment came from the fact that my mom was sitting in the second row. (laughs) And she didn't even know I knew that word. All right. So, (laughs) for the next nine weeks, we're going to take apart some cringe moments in the life of Jesus and the people who surrounded him. We're going to unpack some moments when Jesus spoke and people's actual response was, did he just say that? Did that really just come out of his mouth? Now, before we start, I want you to know something. We are not going to try and explain away what Jesus says. We're going to not take them and try to make them really nice so that we can get off easy and everybody just walks out of here slapping each other a high five and getting a warm fuzzy. We're not going to take a very common approach to the hard teachings of Jesus, which basically goes like this. That's not what he really meant. He meant something else. You're fine. You're good. You're good. You're fine. We'll find a way to explain it away because you just got really, really uncomfortable. We're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to go and we're going to dive in and we're going to go deeper. We're going to be confronted with the bold and loving honesty of Jesus. And we're going to hear what he has to say to his followers because it's as relevant today as it was back then. The word disciple is used a lot in scripture in terms of those who follow Jesus, 262 times. The Greek word means so much more than just being a follower. It means more than just being a learner. It means someone who shares a close and intimate relationship with the person that they're following. It's somebody who's described as someone who's going deeper into an intimate knowledge of God. This is going to be hard for some of us who have a real comfortable faith. This is going to be tough for those of us who define God's love by how easy our life is. This is going to stir a few things up for people who just like doing Jesus on the side. This is going to be offensive for some and unbelievably attractive for those who are truly seeking God's will. And I believe it can be unbelievably attractive for those who are still trying to figure out whether or not Jesus really is who he says he is. Because out of the power of his words, they're going to have to make a decision. Am I all in or not? You see, I believe those people, people who don't even know Jesus yet, they're watching us. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, and they want to know one thing. 
I don't give a rip if you practice what you preach. I want to know whether or not you're going to start with what Jesus preaches. Here it comes. I had an amazing conversation with a young college student this past week at a coffee shop here in town. Asked him a question about Jesus and it prompted a very honest moment. He said this, and I quote, here's my problem. Most Christians that I know talk a really big game about loving and serving and sacrificing, but their lives don't ring true because they appear to be just like me, self-centered and just trying to get by. Why would I want to give myself to something that doesn't seem to be making any difference for them? Cringe. I'll tell you what, I love his honesty. And I hope he takes up my invitation to come and check it out. This weekend we're going to start by eavesdropping on a tough conversation. Jesus is walking down a road with a couple of his followers. And before we hit the conversation, I think we need to acknowledge a big piece of very important context. If you forget this as we're walking through this piece today, you're going to end up with some very bad conclusions about Jesus. Here's the context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of me and you. And we can't forget that. Jesus is preparing for the death that would offer me and you an opportunity to be reconciled to God. Jesus isn't out for a casual loop around Lake Padden. He's not hanging out and biding time. He needs to make every second count so he's in one of those matter-of-fact, tell-it-like-it-is kind of moments. I got a friend who's like this, and I just love him to death because he cuts right to the chase. He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. He always tells me what I need to hear. He loves me enough to tell me the truth, and he doesn't play games. So when I need real wisdom, that's where I go. Jesus is in that frame of mind, and he's going to be that guy for us for the next nine weeks. Here comes the conversation. Here's the first one. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I love this guy. This guy's all in right from the get-go. No reservations, nothing held back. All of a sudden, it's like, let's do this. I'm a follower of Jesus. Whatever you say, wherever you're going, that's what I want to do. Until Jesus says, just in case you didn't notice, you're following an itinerant, homeless Jewish rabbi who has nothing. Oh. Really? Like nothing? Nothing. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I just know my dad's going to provide it for me. You sure that's where you want to go? You're positive. Oh yeah, and one more thing. You said you'd follow me wherever I was going. Well, where I'm going is to be nailed to a medieval torture stick and die for the sins of man. You still in? Mm, I don't know. Like, that sounds like a, that's a lot of commitment right there. A very famous preacher called this guy Mr. Too Quick. He's all in with Jesus until Jesus lays out the cost, and then it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on just for a second. Here's the underlying issue of this particular guy. And I think it's something we all face. It's easy to say, I will follow. It's easy to say, I'll follow. Maybe you've heard it this way. It's easier said than done. Some people have this romantic idea that when they come to Jesus from that day on, it's all butterflies and Bible studies. Let me just tell you, that's not the way it is. Here's the truth. There is a cost to following Jesus. It might cost you a job. 
It might cost you a friend that doesn't understand where you're coming from. It might cost you some comfort. It might cost you. But think about this. Name one thing in your life that's valuable to you that didn't actually cost you something. The cost is what makes it valuable. So what's the application? Jesus is saying this. You've got to count the cost before you commit. I mean, I think it's funny. Jesus is actually trying to talk people out of following him. He's trying to give them some other alternatives because he knows this is going to demand full commitment. He wants them to know what they're getting themselves into. You know why? Because Jesus knows the power of commitment. That's why. Knows the power of commitment, and he also knows the power of something else. He knows the power of reward. Because this is the good news for everybody. The reward for following Jesus is eternal. It doesn't just last in this lifetime. It lasts in all lifetime. You remember the guy from last week that Jesus asked to sell everything? Jesus said, I want to exchange something. I want you to exchange the temporary value of all your stuff for the eternal value of what I can give you. Jesus offers him an upgrade, and he offers the same to us. He offers a reward that you can't put a price tag on. Forgiveness for your sin. Peace. Hope for the past. Forgiveness. Joy. Love. All of those things. He says, this is the eternal reward and I desperately want it for you. That's why I'm going to go die, if you want to follow. Let's keep going, but I'm going to warn you, it's going to get tougher. Second conversation out of Luke chapter 9. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay. A little poll, Ferndale, Bellingham. Does that sound a little harsh to anybody else besides me? And you just need you to skip your dad's funeral. That, that's it. No big deal. Okay, we need a little cultural understanding here. In fact, let me say this before we do the cultural understanding. I have a very good friend who's a professor in Jerusalem, and I called him this week to check out some of this background, and this is what he said to me. He goes, I hope and pray you have the courage to preach this straight. Let's try, okay? As a Jewish son, burying your father was a religious duty that took precedence over everything. To ask someone to not do this would have been scandalous, and that's exactly what Jesus does. Commentators have tried for years to try and soften Jesus' words here by implying that maybe the man's father's not dead yet, and that really what he was asking for was an extension that could have lasted for years because maybe his dad was fine and good and this guy's just saying, well, I need to prepare for my dad's funeral. You know, he's only 41, but, you know, someday, gonna have to get to that. Could that be true? Could that be the circumstance? Possibly, which leads us to a very, very important point. Let's just be honest for a moment. We're never gonna fully understand all of this because we weren't there. We're never gonna be able to unpack it There's a lot of things we don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is calling those who claim to follow him to be willing to make everything secondary to following Jesus. Jesus, don't ever, or or church, don't ever forget this. When Jesus is asking this man to forego his father's funeral, don't ever forget this. Jesus, at the same time as asking that huge thing, is preparing his own funeral. It changes it, doesn't it? While you're off looking after your dad's, I'm going to be getting ready for mine. It's tough talk. You know what? I don't think Jesus had a problem with the last part of the man's objection. I think he had a problem with his second, third, and fourth words. 
first let me. Jesus, first let me make a small fortune, and then I'll be more than happy to follow you. Jesus, first let me get a master's degree, and then I'll give you the rest of my life from that point onward. Lord, first let me go and kind of seed my wild oats and get it out of my system, and then I'll be willing to follow you completely and totally. Jesus, first let me take care of my own financial needs, and then I'll give you your cut if there's anything left over. Come on, church, let's just be honest. What's the first thing that goes when times get tight? God's part. Can I get an amen from somebody that's being honest? Come on. As a disciple of Jesus, there is no first let me. It's always, Lord, you first. Lord, you first. What does that mean for me? It means this. It means that I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm anything. I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm a husband, a father, a friend, a pastor, an employee, or a citizen. Now, here's the cool thing. I believe that being a follower of Jesus first makes me a better one of all of those things. I believe that being a follower of Jesus makes me a better husband because I get to love my wife like Jesus loved the church, and Jesus died for the church. I believe that being a follower of Jesus makes me a better father because it means God the Father is helping me love and guide my kids in the same way he's loving and guiding me. I believe that by following Jesus, I'm a better friend because I don't just have to hang out with my friends. I actually get to point them to a friend of sinners, and that's good news. I believe that because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a better pastor because I can point people towards the only one who can forgive their sins. I believe I'm a better employee as a follower of Jesus because I don't work for Christ the King Church. I work for Christ the King Jesus, and that changes everything. I believe that I am a better citizen of this country because I've understood as a follower of Jesus, this world is not my home. It's not my home. But while I'm here, my job is to share the beauty of that citizenship with every single person who will give me three minutes to talk. What's the underlying statement from this guy? I think it's this. It's I want to follow first. Maybe you've heard this from yourself. I'd like to follow Jesus. In fact, I want to follow Jesus, but I've got obligations and responsibilities that are holding me back. Now, I want you to remember something about this man. This is the one guy that Jesus actually called. He said, I want you to follow me. He called him out, but the man hesitated. And in that hesitation, he missed an opportunity. My friends have learned this from experience. There are moments when it has to be just a yes to Jesus. There are moments when it's a choose you this day, whom you will serve kind of a moment. This is one of those moments. And here's the truth that this man lives out. You must be a follower of Jesus first and foremost. Every other role is subservient to following Jesus. Was there anything wrong with the funeral request? Absolutely not. Was there anything wrong with wanting to honor his dad? No, it's in the commandments, right? Was there anything wrong with family obligation? Absolutely not. Was there something wrong with his priorities? Yeah, and Jesus knew it. His priority should have been dying to his own need so that he could preach the message of Jesus in a place where death had overwhelmed the very people that he claimed to love. Here's the application for all of us. We must allow Jesus to define those priorities. If we're going to go deep, we have to allow Jesus to define those priorities. His question was, Lord, let me first go and take care of my dad's arrangements. The right question would have been this. Jesus, my dad's dying. 
What do you want me to do in following you first? How do I carry out my calling as a disciple in every situation, even ones that involve death? How about you? What else would come first? What other priority would name itself king, even when it looks like it's very honorable? Here's the last one. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Do you notice that the words are there again? Lord, me first. This time it's not a funeral. It's just a quick visit home. No big deal. Just got to wrap up a few details, Jesus. It's insignificant stuff. It won't take you more than a minute. No big deal. It's cool. Jesus can wait. He's very patient. The Bible says so. I'm just going to do whatever I need to. I just got to get all of this stuff in order. And then, then I'll get to it. What's this guy's underlying excuse? I think it's this. It's I'll follow when the people in my life are okay with it. When everybody else is okay with it, then I'm going to take a step and then I'm going to get really, really committed. I read a missions magazine the other day that stated again, the number one reason why young people don't actually get to the mission field is not lack of finances. It's pressure from their family system to play it safe and stay home. It's mom and dad saying, we love that you've got this call of God on your life, but can't you just do it here? Whatcom County's a great mission field. Why don't you just stay here? It's nice. It's safe, sort of. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll be good. We'll look after you. We'll take care of all of those kinds of things. Parents, for the love of Jesus, God's hands are safer than yours. They are. What greater call do you have in your life than to set your kids free into the destiny that God's got written for them, not you? I'm facing this too. I got a 17 and a 14-year-old. They're starting to make plans for the rest of their lives. And there's something inside of me that's just, just, just kind of hang close. We'll be good. Come on, Braden, be an associate pastor of Christ the King. We'll do that father-son thing. That'd be cool, you know. Come on, McKenna. She wants to be the president, you know, but you can do it from Bellingham. It'll work, you know. We're good. God's hands are safer than yours. This final guy's issue of, you know, I'll kind of follow when my life, when the people in my life are okay with it, it's really connected to this truth that's connected to the last guy's truth. That our priorities must always be centered on the priorities of Jesus. Jesus says this. He goes, you know, once you get moving, you need to keep your eyes front and center. You've got to see the bullseye. And the bullseye for him was the cross where he died for me and you because he loved us that much. From the day he was born, Jesus put his hand to a plow that was plowing a straight furrow right towards the cross because he knew there was something on the other side of the cross. An empty tomb. That's a good part of the story. I love that part. That whole three days later thing, that's genius. 
He's looking for it, pressing towards it. He's got his hand on the plow and he refuses to look back. He's fixed on what God will bring, uh, what will bring God honor. What about you? How much time do you spend in your life looking backwards? I'm going to tell you something about what happens when you do that. If you look back to your old life, you're going to go sideways. If you try to recapture that old dream, you're going to go sideways. You may even go backwards. If you look to your old failures all of the time, if you look back to those old band-aids, something's going to happen to you. You're going to stop going forward. And let's just face it, as human beings, we love to over-romanticize what was behind us, don't we? Oh, my college days, they were awesome. They were fantastic. How do you know you can't remember them? Well, I think they were awesome. Somebody told me they were awesome, and I have pictures. Woo-hoo! Right? We look back at that stuff, and we go, it was amazing. Was it really? I don't want my old life back to save my life. My old life was full of every lie you could imagine. My old life was me every day trying to convince myself that I was just fine. My old life was filled with all kinds of stuff that the next morning left me feeling absolutely eternally empty. My old life can disappear as far as I'm concerned because my new life started when Jesus came and said, I got an upgrade for you, Grant, will you take it? And that was a beautiful day. My life started that day, not on December the 25th, 1966. Some of you are doing the math, don't, okay? My life started when an 18-year-old high school senior pulled over to the side of the road in a little silver Honda and stopped arguing with Jesus and said, wherever you want me, with whatever you want me, I'll take that because this is not good. You know, it's interesting. Jesus uses the picture of putting your hand to a plow and then going in the right direction towards the cross. My grandpa used to have a great little saying, you plow so you can plant. He was a farmer. You plow so you can plant, Christ the King. The goal is to plow in a straight direction towards the cross so that we can share that and plant that seed of the gospel message in Whatcom County everywhere we go. How's that working for you? When was the last time you opened your mouth and actually spit out a seed, proverbial, and had it go in the ground and blossom in somebody else's life? When was the last time you told the truth about Jesus? When was the last time you confessed to another human being that what's behind you was not all it was cracked up to be? And that your life started different when Jesus came along and interrupted you and turned your existence upside down and backwards. The work of being a disciple is in planting the seed of the gospel in the hearts of the people around us. And how do we do it? We do it by bringing in including people. You want to come on a journey? You want to see an adventure? Huh, walk this way. We do it by inviting. We do it by example. We do it by talking and sharing. We do it by comforting and answering. We do it by keeping an eternal perspective in the midst of all of this stuff. Here's the application, okay? Last one. We focus on having our earthly affairs in order, don't we? In fact, we pride ourselves in it. How about your eternal affairs? We want to get all of our stuff ready. We want to make sure that everything is is good and and, and sequential and all lined up. How about the eternal investment that you're making? 
What are you sending ahead, Christ the King? What are you sending ahead? You know, what's the key point here? You take the whole thing, I'm going to boil it down into one little statement. Jesus is saying this, there's no such thing as a part-time follower. No such thing as a part-time follower. You can't do Jesus on the side. He asks people to lay down their lives, their schedules, their priorities, their conveniences, their finances, all for the sake of winning people to Christ. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. He never asked us to do something he didn't do already himself. He went first. You want a picture of total commitment? You look no further than the cross of Calvary. And he did it for me. And you. Okay, here's the worst response you could possibly have from today's teaching, okay? If you go home, it's like, okay, I'm going to buy a tent. I'm going to buy a tent. And I'm going to tell mom and dad they better create a living will that doesn't include me because I obviously am not showing up for that day. And I'm going to use this Thanksgiving to say my goodbyes because apparently I'm not going to be making around that circle again. Okay? Please don't. Here's the proper response to what Jesus is saying. Jesus, would you finally teach me that you're more than enough? Would you help me put my faith in you and in you alone so that nothing else can distract me from paying whatever price I have to to share your message with people around me? Jesus, would you help me love you so much that everything else is eclipsed by that kind of love and devotion? Jesus, would you give me a passion to bring everything that I have to you for wisdom and direction because I want to be a disciple and a follower first. Jesus, would you take my life as an offering back to you because I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Come on, church kids. How many years have you sung it? The world behind me, the cross before me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. That's what Jesus is asking. So you have a very crucial question to answer, and so do I. I think the question is this. Is Jesus worth it? Because if he's not, you won't. Is Jesus worth your comfort? Is Jesus worth your realigning your priorities? Is Jesus worth you handing over your tithe check with a smile? Because that's what scripture says. Is Jesus worth becoming your all-consuming passion? Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite authors. He didn't candy coat it. He said it straight out. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Those are fighting words. when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my life, my soul, and my all. Some of you may still be suspicious and you're like, I, yeah, I don't know. 
That sounds like a pretty steep order, Grant. It is. Until you put it in the context of the life of the one who's calling you. Jesus asked the man to give up everything. Philippians says, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He asked the man to forego a loved one's funeral. I don't know if it was in five days or five years, but we can never forget that while he called him to do that, Jesus was planning his own funeral. He asked the man to forego saying goodbye to his family, knowing one day Jesus would someday exchange a goodbye to his dad with these torturous words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why God the Father had to turn his back on his only son and not say goodbye? took it on his sinless soul so that he could pay the price for our freedom. My friends, Luke 9 is not a cringe moment. That's love. That's love. So, some of you are going, wow. I think I'm going to find something else to do for the next eight or nine weeks. I dare you to go deeper, Christ the King. For eternity's sake. Some of you are here and it's kind of like, I don't know. That's a big price tag. So was dying on that cross. And that price tag got attached to yours and my soul. How, as the people of God, can we give God back the bare minimums when we do it standing in the shadow of a blood-stained cross? Welcome to Cringe. Let's pray. Jesus, my biggest joy in following you is that you keep going first. You asked me to lay my life down after you already laid yours down. You offered to give me eternal treasure after you laid down yours to come here looking for me. So Father, I pray for those who are caught in the tension of wondering what my life would look like if I actually crossed that line of commitment. I pray that they would know that waiting on the other side is freedom, hope, forgiveness, joy, mercy, and a beautiful thing called grace. I pray that they would know that their life begins on the other side of I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. 
Father, for those of us who are veterans of the faith and we're caught in the tension of realizing that once again, your Holy Spirit has come and tapped a couple of areas. God, I pray that we would be godly enough to allow your priorities to be ours. I pray that you would help us to live a life worthy of the name under which we have been called. The God who reigns, Jesus Christ. And may we do it with great thanksgiving under the banner of your cross, under the forgiven and the set free, agreed together with all of their hearts and said, Amen.